The eyes have it. The bill is passed. We are in the beginning of a mass extinction, and all you can talk about is money. There's no other developed country with anything like the wealth of renewable energy resources that Australia has. It's the number one issue facing humanity, and it's the number one issue for me. Yes, there have been an incredible number of announcements in this uh, area this past month. AGL Energy confirmed it will close its coal-fired Loy Yang power station in Victoria 10 years earlier than planned. Telstra signed another renewable power deal that will supply a quarter of its electricity. New South Wales hit go on the tender process to produce more renewables into its new energy zones. And in Queensland came the launch of an energy and jobs plan. Among other things, it included two enormous pumped hydro energy storage projects. I could go on. This month, though, we intend to examine what seems to be some concrete details from Fortescue Future Industries, FFI, about their green hydrogen and renewable energy plans. This company also has set a blistering pace of announcements. Even the experts can be left wondering what's exactly behind the enthusiasm and the hype. Mark Hutchinson is the recently appointed CEO of FFI, the green energy arm of Fortescue Metals. He's a former CEO of General Electric in Europe and China. Welcome to Saturday Extra. Very nice to meet you and uh, be here today. Um, Mark, it is rather hard to get one's head across the myriad projects that FFI is exploring. It does seem you're reaching a point where some projects are going ahead in a physical form or at least are close to sort of financially being able to move ahead. Is that a reasonable summary? No, absolutely. I mean, I've been in uh, in the chair here for three months, uh, came in from the outside, and you know, so much activity has been happening, and I'm able kind of to take that and, and piece it all together. Uh, and, uh, yeah, you know, things are becoming real. I'm, I'm feeling very good about where we're at, actually. So would it be fair to say that FFI, in a way, is like a startup? It's a division within FMG, that that would help people understand? Yes, totally. I mean, I, I think the, uh, the way I look at it, Geraldine, it's, it's uh, having been in the startup world as well, it's a, it's a very well-funded startup. But, uh, you know, we are often going... The big difference is we kind of morphed from the, an Australian mining company to a global energy company. So it's quite a big transition in, in that regard, um, and, but it's, it's definitely started. And its role, again, by way of clarification for listeners, its role is twofold, isn't it? It's to provide the services and the technology and the skills to help decarbonise the parent company in its mining projects and also to help independently develop other renewable projects. That's important to understand, isn't it? Absolutely. So I think those two two parts are, are very important. Firstly, you know, we committed uh, in New York actually a couple of weeks ago to be the first industrial company globally to decarbonise the company before 2030. That's a big deal, actually. And uh, we have um, the money committed by the board. We have a plan. We, we, we're going to do that. And FFI is, is a big part of that. And it does a couple of things. It, it's it's doing the right thing in some ways, you know, for the company, but also takes a lot of risk out of the future of the mining business. And it gives us, it shows our kind of customers globally that we really are serious about, you know, uh, decarbonizing the world. And the second part is is really FFI. We see not just a, a challenge, but opportunity in how the we kind of replace fossil fuels globally. 
and and a number of things have happened around the globe over the last few months, which have really kind of accelerated this with the war with uh, in the Ukraine with Russia uh, and the, the need in Europe to to really kind of ramp up their alternative fuels and, and particularly renewables. There's been a, a major shift in the US with the Inflation Reduction Act where, mm. uh, you know, green hydrogen in particular um, becomes very, very real from a cost perspective. And then just, just energy prices globally has made everybody kind of take more note of, of climate change. So we, we're jumping right in the middle of that. And we want to be one of the, the world's greatest and biggest uh, green hydrogen producers. So which projects are worth talking about in terms of making that realisation come true? Because there have been quite a few different announcements. Yeah, so look, I think the, the way we think about the green hydrogen kind of opportunity is looking at really across the entire supply chain. So the first one we've actually announced in Gibson Island and in Brisbane, which is um, which is awesome. So we're off and running. Uh, it's a real project. We will be making green hydrogen um, there. We've also made some announcements also on the, the demand side. So we have this very big uh, arrangement and, and contract with E.ON in Germany, which is the, the Germans' biggest utility, where they will be buying the green hydrogen. So we're matching those two up. And in the middle, we've made another announcement this week on on actually uh, putting some money into a port in Germany to make sure that we can actually deliver the product. Mm. Now, that Gibson Island one is interesting because that's actually, um, as I understand it, Incitec Pivot has been running that um, and it's been making traditional fertiliser and it's been manufacturing ammonia. Now, how is yep. how exactly is green energy going to be brought into that and what would be the benefit? So really, it's, it's, it remains as an ammonia plant, but what changes is all the mechanics behind that. So, uh, so instead of kind of the traditional way of making ammonia, we, what we're going to do is make it a different way by using kind of green hydrogen. So we will use renewable power, wind, we'll use transmission to bring the power into what's called an electrolyzer facility, where we convert that green energy to hydrogen. And then the, the green hydrogen will then feed into the ammonia plant to make green ammonia, which will then export. So it really changes what is an already a, you know, a fairly traditional process to a green process. And I think Arena uh, announced yesterday a $13.7 million grant to subsidise a portion of the feed process. So this is another, because we will get to the, just, you know, your capital cost of doing all these things. Uh, I presume you welcomed that. Oh, absolutely. I think, you know, this is a, a new industry. So I, I've, I've been uh, with 25 years with General Electric around the world in my career. And so I was very involved with the, the wind industry, uh, the, the wind turbine industry when it got started. And governments kind of, you know, help in the early stages of a new industry is so critical. And, and the Queensland government has been fantastic, actually. Well, in fact, I was going to stay there because they've got this energy plan which uh, intends to see 80% of its power coming from renewable sources by 2035. Is that doable in your view? Absolutely. So our view on fossil fuels globally is that we can do so much more in a much quicker time frame than than really what's been talked about in 2050 or 2040. We can, we can achieve a lot by 2030 if we have the will 
and the the right uh, you know thinking around from a corporate perspective and a government perspective. But in Queensland, that eighty percent goal is very doable. See, for instance, also this week a report came out from Swinburne University in the Victoria Hydrogen Hub, and their estimate is that they think we won't have a viable hydrogen-based industry until twenty thirty. Now, again, I think listeners would really like to know some specific timeframes to work out whether there yep. are big dreams, which, okay, are good, but is it real? No, it's real, uh, Jodine, because I look, you know, Gibson Island will be in production in the end of 24, early 25 of making green hydrogen. So this this is absolutely real. And uh, we, we believe the industry is going to gather pace very, very quickly between then and 2030. I, th- I kind of look at this, there's this, massive opportunity for Australia. I'm not Australian, actually. So coming back to this country, I did my university here, but if you look globally at what's going to happen to replacing fossil fuels, there's an amazing opportunity for Australia to fill the gap there. And so I see this as, a, as you know, uh, something that's going to be very real over the next five years. Now, let's look at that Germany one, for instance, that you've invested $195 million into the construction costs of a hydrogen import terminal project in the German port of Wilhelmshaven. How are you going to make that work for you? Yeah, so um, uh, we have a, a very big contract to fulfil with E.ON, which is the biggest utility in Germany, where we will have to supply them by 2030, 5 million tonnes of green hydrogen. Now, just to put that in perspective, that's 10% of Germany's entire power, right? So it's enormous. And we have to start delivering on that in 2024-25. So we're under the gun to produce green hydrogen. It comes back to your previous question of, is is it real? For us, it absolutely is. And part of that is, where do we actually deliver the product in Germany? So we've teamed up with some very, very uh, capable people, this company called TESS, and they've done terminals before, they're building a new one for green hydrogen, and we're going to be a part of that. Um, Now, another thing to understand is, I think, how this works within Fortescue, because uh, Fortescue Metals, the parent company, will spend, I think it says, $9.2 to switch to renewable energy. And it believes that when it does it fully, it'll save more than $1 in operating costs per year, and it'll meet its targets. Some have said that this, it's almost like there'll be a bit of cross-subsidising between the parent company and, say, your your group. And some analysts have said, good, but it'll mean less dividends for shareholders in the parent company. In other words, that goes to your cost of capital. Uh, This is tricky, I know. (laughs) Andrew Forrest is very alive to all this. But can you help us understand what you think is at stake there? Yeah, so look, I think the decarbonisation of the company, what's really important here, Geraldine, is that we actually make money from doing it. So this is not a a charitable event. It's not something that we're doing just because, you know, it's the right thing to do. We actually make money. So of of the the money spent, we reckon we'll spend over $9 billion in the metals business to decarbonise the company. It doesn't really subsidise the FFI side at all, actually. You know, we're helping them. We know that's kind of our first project. But presumably um, your but cost of capital through them is less? Yes? No? No, it won't be actually. So, you know, we have, we take 10% of NPAT for FFI, that stames, that doesn't change at all. And then there's separately in the company, we have the cost allocated for 
the decarbonisation of the mining business. They're two separate pieces to the puzzle, right. um, but they're not they're not cross subsidised at all because we've got two two missions here. The first mission is to decarbonise the company that has its separate budget, and the second part of it is to fund out of the ten percent impact FFI to go and create a global energy business. Um, green hydrogen only makes sense in some situations, I understand. For most of residential Australia, is it right that we'll probably rely on solar and wind and storage from batteries or pumped hydro, not hi- green hydrogen? Is that right? Well, that's that's probably right. The think of, the way to think about it is is it's delivery of of energy, right? So so if you, in the simplest form, if you can make uh, electrons, which you know come out of when you have a wind turbine or a solar, and you can you can put a cable in to take it to your customer. That's probably the simplest way. Where green hydrogen comes into play is now there are there are kind of ways you can use it in cars eventually, and and from an industrial perspective. But the way I think about it is our customer is in Germany. We're making electricity electrons in Australia. So you convert those to molecules so you can ship it in the form of hydrogen to Germany. So think of it as a, as a, as a bat, big battery, really, mm. that you're able to transport power from one part of the world to another. Um, so uh, um, that could also work in Australia, though, couldn't it, in terms of, say, supplying our bus fleet? That's one of the... Th- th- oh, oh, no, t- Totally. There's there's many applications, you know, um, whether it's cars and buses and trucks and the industry, we can use hydrogen for, green hydrogen for. But I think the the major part to it, I mean, the domestic market is important. The export market is massive. It's going to be huge. I presume the Germans in particular, especially just hearing what the Saudis are now doing this week. Uh, you know, is there a sense of urgency in Germany with uh, energy needs at the moment? Oh, Absolutely. I think, you know, you've got these events happened in, in Germany at the moment. It's going to be, I'm, I'm, I'm European, it's going to be a cold winter. And, um, you know, I think for the next couple of winters, uh, it's going to be extremely difficult in Europe. And, and the quicker we can get moving, the, the better. Uh, they, they need to replace natural gas coming out of Russia. Uh, and that has to re- be replaced with, with other forms of energy. They've looked to Australia uh, for many reasons, for, for one where it's a stable place to to uh, make sure you have security of supply, but also we have the you know the wind, the solar, the the, the deep ports to 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 make the product. So that's why Australian becomes very important in the equation of what happens in Europe. And look, just very quickly and finally, will you have the workforce to do this? That's another part of this uh, Swinburne um, uh, uh, report, suggesting that there's really very little training underway just yet to supply the numbers we'll need. Yeah, look, I think that's a a great question. Um, You know, something I worry about, certainly in, in, uh, you know, the, the way I'm looking at putting the business together. I think there's there is a lot of people out there who are extremely interested in getting into this space. So I think from we're kind of lucky in some ways. The more that we we tell people about what we do, the more people want to join us. I think we've got to reskill a lot of people in Australia, and we've got to look at importing skills to you know to um, to make sure this happens. So it's very very uh, you know very uh, near the top of my agenda of things that need to happen for sure. Look, thank you very much indeed for joining us. 
My pleasure and um, nice to talk to you. Mark Hutchinson, he's CEO of Fortescue Future Industries. And just a quick mention, there's Loyang A and Loyang B stations. You know, I was talking about it earlier. Um, and apparently it's it's uh, Loyang uh, Loy uh, B has a different owner, thanks to our texter, Tony.